You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This episode, we'll be talking about Big Star, number one record. In the room, I have Rob. Oh, hello. Ben. Hello. And Will. Hi. Number one record is the debut album by the American rock band Big Star. It was released in August uh, 1972 by Ardent Records, part of Stax label. It was produced by John Fry, and the genre is power pop. And I'm going to read the artist biography by Jason Anke. Uh, from all music. The quintessential American power pop band Big Star remains one of the most mythic and influential call acts in all of rock and roll. Originally led by the singer and songwriter duo of Alex Chilton and Chris Bell, the Memphis-based group fused the strongest elements of the British invasion era into a ramshackle but poignantly beautiful sound that recaptured the spirit of pop's past even as it pointed the way towards the music's future. Although the creative tensions, haphazard distribution, and marketplace indifference conspired to ensue Big Star's brief existence and commercial failure, the group's three studio albums nevertheless remained unqualified classics. Their impact on subsequent generations of indie bands on both sides of the Atlantic is surpassed only by that of the Velvet Underground. All right. What do we think of number one by Big Star? I think this is probably a top 15, top 20 uh, Desert Island album for me. Yeah. Uh, It is, it's it's basically perfect. There's not a bad song on it. Um, I found out about this, I think it was uh, Nick Hornsby was doing an interview with Terry Gross and was talking about... Terry Gross. (laughs) Yes, Terry Gross. Uh, When was, I think it was Nick Hornsby. It it was, it was some English writer who was just talking about how like one summer he spent like... I hear he's fond of lists. (laughs) He is a big fan of lists. Uh, Yeah, like spent like one, one summer was dedicated to like, uh, like him falling in love and this like album existing like simultaneously and how that like was like forever and etched into his Uh, brain. And I was like, who the fuck's Big Star? And so, you know... I went on to SoulSeek, www.soulseek.com or whatever, and, and downloaded it. And yeah, it was just, it like it, it might be the best power pop record I, I ever heard, at least at that point in time. I know, I, I, I find no fault with it. It's one of my favorite it records. It seems to be, as far as categorically how you think about power pop, kind of, there's a, the shape of it. I can't think of too many things before Big Star where... It seems to be kind of like where the picture is more focused than it had been before. Is what that term even means? Yeah, it's like this is like the template. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It w- yeah. and it was you know at the time not popular, not commercial. You could not, s- I could argue that Beatles had a well, yeah, but I mean Beatles are almost their own sphere. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so. Who? Yeah, some I'd say who dabbled in that, yeah. but, but but still like that still was like more on the rock and whereas here that's like nail on the head. Yeah, you know, this is power exactly, pop. Yeah, the who's mostly associated with you know the loudest band of their era and you know going out there with a couple things, but 
I mean, there's all these these tributaries that go into it. Yeah. But then there's Big Star, especially in an era when it's, uh, you know, probably why it wasn't so well received either at the time or paid attention to because the, the acts of the day were heavy rock and roll, you know, male posturing, this, you know, there's a sensitive side to, you know, to this music. There's a fun side. There's a lot of things that weren't, you know, cool at the time yeah. or at least in vogue and, uh, you know, also, Stax, I feel like, didn't oh, know what God. to do. What, what happened? Stax, yeah. did, like, so didn't it, they... Uh, Memphis. Did, yeah. did they, is this the same thing that happened with uh, Hot Buttered Soul? Like, I, don't, I don't know. Weren't they not able to sell any of the... like the, Stax fucked up another one uh, earlier, right. and they couldn't... Like, they... Yeah, we'll put you out. I don't know what the fuck to do with this mm. record, though. Yeah. But, like, yeah. It sounds like... like some like some of the like the year end like reviews like this album was on lists like mm. uh like record world one of the best albums of the year billboard every cut could be a single uh cashbox everything wow. falls together as a total sound this should go to the top <laughs> there was a demand Man. for it and people couldn't find there it there were in only 10,000 yeah. copies pressed because that st- first time stacks could wow. not uh, stacks could not get hard copies of it to stores why Oh, they, like they're they've been an established record label for a while. Has anyone here seen the uh, documentary? Yeah, yeah. Okay, me too. I don't remember that. I remember obviously Stax not knowing what to do with it generally, but as far as distribution goes, I never heard a, a story. Yeah, it's it said it didn't sell well, but I don't know if that is just because <laughs> it wasn't there. It, it wasn't it publicized. I think they sold all of them. Just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they, they only had ten thousand of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, years later, when uh, Sister Lovers. Uh, Come, comes out and uh, it's really picking up momentum. There was an increasing demand for number one record, and no one could find it. You, you know, you couldn't like, go online and download it. So they they released the like the double LP of Sister Lovers and yeah. uh, number one record, and that's how a lot of people heard it the first time. Mm-hmm. Just because it was just it was unavailable. Yeah. Why? And it's also doubly sad that like this was the only record that Chris Bell was like credited with like yeah and he he wrote the hits on this shit. Yeah. Have I mean, you listened to uh, Chris Bell's uh, solo album? Was it I Am the Cosmos? The Cosmos. It yeah. sounds like Big Star. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's. I mean, I love Alex Chilton so much, but after his departure, it is it is something different. It absolutely. Is, it's all it's fantastic. It's, it's rougher. I love it, but uh, but this is its own you know, its own entity, you know, this magic combination of people and a place. I think Memphis is a huge part of the, how, uh, the personality of this record. And, yeah. you know, it's why it's so different. It's, it, I, it's would, part of, I would have loved to have seen these weirdos walking around downtown imagine? Memphis yeah. and <laughs> just the, uh, the looks. Well, they were Memphis getting. has been known to churn that out from time to time in a epic way. But, uh, but yeah, it's the first time you listen to this, where you're like, "Oh shit, that's Sunday's show." Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah. It's it's a weird, it's weird when a band that's so prolific gets a, associated with something like a movie or mm-hmm. a TV show or something that's m- more in the modern sphere, yeah. where I, where I feel like this. They definitely did. And that but was cheap I do trick like this. Who does it on yeah. there? Yeah, from season oh. two on. Season yeah. one, it's a guy I'm not familiar with called Ben Vaughn doing the cover. But then Cheap Trick is uh, season two on, and uh, and the, and when Cheap Trick's doing the theme is when they end it with the they we're, attack with the all, we're, we're all, all right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In 2000, uh, Alex Chilton said it was ironic every time it was broadcast the 70 show he would receive 70 dollars. 
That's <laughs> oh, for man. his awesome. royalty. That is $70 cool. $70 American. Every time it's broadcast. Yeah. It's like syndication? I think so. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Chilton Estate is still getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying hard against unbelievable odds. It's so hard in times like now to hold on. The guns they wait to be stuck by at my side is gone. And there ain't no one going to turn me around. little bit of an aside. Uh, I guess a documentary being funded for about Alex Chilton right now. Really? It keeps popping up in my algorithms like to huh. give money to it, which when you think about uh, he's sort of, I'm reminded of Doug Psalm maybe a little bit as far as somebody who like started like 60s you know, pop rock fame and then on to something else, on to something else, on to something else kind of things. There's, there's such a great story in, in Chilton's um, chronology as far as like where he went. He Sometimes weird. Oh, totally weird. He gets yeah, very I mean, weird. you know, showed up in New York and was doing, you know, nearly like post-punk pop and yeah. things like that. I mean, really out there. And then in the, uh, I guess, the end of the, was the end of the, somewhere in the ni- early '90s, I guess, is when Big Star sorts of, you know, gets back together mm-hmm. and does shows and stuff. Yeah, and I'm not so schooled on on that. I've watched some videos and stuff and. Yeah, Sound, they, they re-released, uh, I can't remember, it was 95 or something like that, where they re-released, it was like the double mm-hmm. uh, CD, and then that, again, they re-released in, uh, was it, it was like late 70s, and it got bigger, and then mm-hmm. they re-released in, like, every time they would re-release and put those two albums together, well, people like, actually pe- people actually heard it. Yeah. It's like, just press enough copies so that <laughs> everyone can enjoy it. Well. But me, me I, I think it was REM. REM mentioned Big Star and yeah, something when I was replacements young. for me. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. so I was curious, um, and I wasn't always curious about what REM was into. I'm not anti-REM by any means, means but um, I think I was curious as far as what weirdo Southerners were into yeah. <laughs> and stuff. It's like oh, a Memphis band and whatever. And then I heard, I think I heard it, and I at least. Was familiar with one song. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. But uh, is anybody else surprised that they don't just hear these songs on the radio? Yes, kind of. Yeah, constantly. There should be some I mean, hits. There's plenty of these songs that you know. Why you know? Why was I it, again? I don't want to offend any Billy Squire fans or anything, but something like that <laughs> that was on do. that was on the radio, and it's just like, well, if you like that. Then yeah. you're gonna like this. Yeah. Come on, Stax. <laughs> Just <laughs> you're Stax. Act like it. Dude, and, uh, it's, it's not, it, it blows my mind because this album is so good. It's like, mm-hmm. this is such a great record and they still fucked it up. Like, mm-hmm. I like, so. How so, is that even possible? So there's some boardroom in the Stax building and they're like, <laughs> Okay, like so, you know, we we've done like the like this like the the the, the rock and soul thing, and it you know it's it, it was good for for a while, but now it's starting to kind of dry up. The the <clears throat> the winds of change are coming. Uh, we should probably like let's branch out into rock and roll. Let's maybe do a test run with the band, and and then they do, and it's awesome. And then they're like, how many of these should we make? Like 
five. <laughs> How many stores should we put them in? None. One for each of us. <laughs> Just like you, you, you were so close, guys. <laughs> like this would have this would have actually like dug them out of the hole that they were in it, had they simply it, just <laughs> let it let it be released. Yeah, uh, drive uh, the truck to the store and drop off. I think things. I can play devil's advocate here, and I still am not sure if even if it was out there. I, maybe that's how I look down upon the the, the rock bands of the ages yeah. in some in some sense. I can see that. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, because I mean, the attitude was something else. We've got Hunky Dory and T-Rex like on the other side of the pond yeah, like right. or <laughs> David Bowie's Hunky Dory. Uh like all of this stuff is happening like mm-hmm. not in a vacuum. Like it's it's that, both sides. That is something I thought about was why didn't Europe catch on? And well, and they it did. sounds like Europe's re- the yeah. only reason why this got a re-release is because uh the Europeans yeah. were like, "Oh my god, well, Mixstar is great." Yeah. What is with those people actually listening to things? What is that? <laughs> Paying attention. Uh, I did read something I did read that I thought was hit it on the head for me. And it says Big Star were more than a legend band. They were sort of a beloved patron saints for struggling musicians. Even if you never found an audience in your prime, you could always hope for a later cult success or something like that. I mean, that. even Badfinger had hits. Right. <laughs> Big Star didn't have anything. Yeah. But also Big that, Star didn't all kill themselves. So I yeah. guess well, finger we know what they did wrong. They hmm? <laughs> Apple <laughs> yeah. It's a great career move. But Apple was trying to fill the void that the Beatles left with Badfinger. So even even though they treated that band like shit and worked them like dogs, they were putting out those songs. You yeah. know, like mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. What do you guys think of the India song? I love it. It, it, it's Ice like it, it's it's this song like this song and uh, the very last song or the two where it's like well these aren't quite the same. At but the same the, time, the, I think it sits well. Uh, the, I think the drummer wrote almost, this one. Uh, it, Hummel, uh, the, yeah, Hummel, Andy Hummel. Yeah, yeah. So it does feel different, but when you realize it's a different writer, it's, yeah. it was there kinda another? Feels I mean, uh, maybe was there another drummer in Big Star? Uh, maybe may uh, the bassist. Jody Stevens. Uh, Jody the, Stevens is, is drummer. He's a, a, sorry, he's a bass guitarist. Yeah, sorry, he's a bassist. Yeah, sounds like a Ringo thing. Though, yeah, so that's it's kind of a Ringo. You know, I love Ringo, but same time, it sounds when this comes on in the context of the record, I actually am just like, I'm ready for this, just because. It's true. It's a nice break. It's at the yeah. end of side one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then they fucking come out swinging on the track one, side two. My baby's beside me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fantastic song. Okay. Jody Stevens. I met him. And, oh, and did that you? was, yes. So when I was working at a hotel in New York. And this is the kind of thing where I'd seen the documentary at the IFC Theater just around the corner, uh, maybe a, a year or two before then. And I found myself working in this new hotel on 8th Street, like down the street from uh, Electric Lady Studios. I'm working the door, and he comes through, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's Jody Stevens. You recognize him? Yes. I have no <laughs> idea what Jody Stevens looks like. <laughs> Beautiful man. This keeps coming up, I've learned, with people who have met him, <laughs> where they're just like, how old is he? Right. He's gorgeous. <laughs> but um, he uh, came through, and, get a picture and of course, I'm, I'm full of self-doubt. And so it's just like, maybe it's not. And then I'm kind of like checking him out, and he had a side bag, and it had um, uh, Arden Studio on it. And I'm so full of self-doubt that I went to being like, That's a handsome man. (laughs) Maybe I should verify this. And I don't want to sound like a fanboy when I am, 
So I went over to say good morning, and I said, oh, Arden Studios, are you affiliated? This, this is how I act when I'm not starstruck or anything. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's where I work. And he's like, oh, cool. Uh, you know, and then I edge into, like, yeah, I'm a big fan of the store. I saw the documentary. It was great. And he's like, oh, man, thanks a lot. And then I become very self-conscious of the fact that I had done the playlist in the hotel. <laughs> and he's like, well, there's about 300 songs, and there's at least 10 big star songs on there. It's going to happen. And then, sure enough, like during the course of that day, when the thing got, he would come downstairs, come tell me good morning, and then like, how you doing and stuff, and then go on his way. This happened awesome. over the course of about four days, but I think it was only the second day he came down, said good morning. I was like, hey man, what's going on? And he leaves, and within five minutes of that, uh, uh, El Goodo comes on. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and he's over in the restaurant hearing that right now. And the manager from the restaurant comes over and says, who is that? I said, that's Jesse Stevens. It's the guy he, you're listening to him right now. Yeah, he played drums in Big Star in this song. She goes, yeah. He was in the middle of the bar walking through when it came on, and he stopped and looked up into the like sky, <laughs> and he said, that's my band. <laughs> and he said, that's weird. And but was laughing and smiling. And then before he was done with his breakfast, a uh, box top song came on. <laughs> Wait, so he came back and he said something else to me. He was like, yeah, I'm responsible for the music in here. It was done before you arrived, uh, whatever. But he came and visited and he uh, constantly. And he is super, super sweet guy. Gave me his card. Like, yeah, call me when you come to Memphis sometime. And uh, But the other funny thing was, he's like, you're a musician? Do you always work hotels? And I said, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I have some. He's looking around. He's like, yeah, I guess. Guess if I ever lost my job, I could I could go back to work and like waiting tables. I think I did that, and just that sort of detonating with me is like you're like a sixty something year old man. You're like, yeah, if I just couldn't get a job, I guess I could wait tables. And she's like, ah, and he's this master, uh, an incredible. There's so much personality in this drumming. It's like Ringo and John Bonham together as far as like personality and can be powerful and stuff. guys feel about I've always thought that Big Star represented sort of um, a young band kind of coming into their own like it not everything is completely pitch perfect mm -hmm. there's a little looseness there his singing even on what was it uh, 13 is like yeah. not quite controlled which is also I think what people really love about exactly you know? that's what I was going to ask yeah. if, if that's what you guys kind of like feel like there's like a vulnerability to yeah. that that's, 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 you, you can't and if you've ever I feel like if you've been in a band too mm -hmm. this feels like the the best that 
a band could do on their first outing, mm-hmm. and they're really proud of it. It does not you, sound like a debut. It, it this doesn't. Sa- this no. sounds like a like they've got so much like it's like the fully formed it's sound. Bi- it's big ideas yeah. too. They just yeah. How pretty is thirteen? I love it. <laughs> yeah. How about them Lennon McCartney vibes in those harmonies? <laughs> yeah. How about singing about a thirteen-year-old? Is that what it's about? <laughs> you think? Being thirteen. <laughs> about another about... thirteen. <laughs> That's okay. Mm, okay. <laughs> right. Hey, uh, is, we, we've been talking about Stax dropping the ball with Big Star. So uh, 13 was released as a single, but it was mislabeled as Don't Lie to Me. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Seriously, guys, get your shit together. <laughs> you have all these good bands. Just stop fumbling the ball at the one card line. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. We're just gonna talk about how great this album is. What yeah. do you think, Rob? A plus plus. Okay. Absolutely, would recommend to anybody. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is a great record. Would absolutely recommend it to anyone. Uh, we mentioned earlier. I think Rob mentioned this is the the only big star album with Chris Bell credited as a member, and we also mentioned just ha- like how much of an effect his presence had on the sound, uh, not only in. Uh, you know, like songwriting, vocals, and guitar work, but also in production. Like, if you, uh, like, right, right. Like, John Fry, the producer, and also like Andy Hummel, like, they would go on record. Uh, John Fry uh, credited uh, the uh, the polished sound of this one, contrasting with like the, the more raw sound of the later ones to the present of, presence of Chris Bell. Uh, Andy Hummel said that uh, Chris was in charge. He was a technical brains behind the album. He was the only one of them that knew how to record. So, yeah, Chris Bell, man. Yeah. Good job, Chris. Good, Good job, job, Chris Bell. Chris. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Magic combination in the band of, of what you just said, which is Chris Bell obviously had more technical yeah. know-how than a lot of them, but also when you're guys from Memphis and then you have Alex Chilton in your band, who's already achieved fame in the box tops, and then like we have him in the band and stuff, but also he's... More of a, you know, an oddball writer, performer, you know, whatever and stuff. You just had, it's just, you know, like I said, magic combination. It was oh, true collaboration at that yeah, point, too. Exactly. Like right. Alex Chilton would lay down something, mm-hmm. then Chris Bell would come in right. and you had the counterpoint. fix it. Yeah. <laughs> or right. change it and, and vice versa. Like, yeah. uh, it's like Lennon McCartney before they hated mm-hmm. each other. And that, that was the intention. They uh, Chilton and Bell saw the Beatles in the mid-60s when Memphis was a tour stop. And they want and they intentionally they wanted that kind of like Lennon McCartney partnership. The songs of this album, with the exception of India's song, are credited uh, uh, Bell, Bell Chilton. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex would come in with like these these rough, edgy songs and then Chris Bell had the, the polished harmonies, the counterpoint on the melodies. It was such a good partnership. Come on, guys. Be friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quit, I, quit putting screwdrivers through each other's acoustic uh, guitars. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I mean, this album is just, there's something special about this album. No matter how many times I hear it, too, it kind of takes me back to a, a certain place and puts a smile on my face. And yeah, absolutely. can I don't know. It's it's like they got it. It's yeah, like you're saying, sort of like a magical. Those things that happen with a combination of people, time, and place, and yeah. can't be replicated. And that's yeah. that's also what's wonderful yeah. about music and, also, and art in general. The sort of like cult status that it's appreciated. It's it's kind of like finding out like a 
a hidden movie that was never released or something, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's like finding, it's like digging through the dusty bins and mm-hmm. you find something and it's pure gold and you know, it just feels special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So total, if you're digging total, through a dusty bin total and you find positive. one of the 10,000 copies, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, right. if you do find the original copies, just uh, off and send it here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, next time we'll be talking about Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath Volume Four. Oh, yeah. All right. Thanks, y'all. Get tickets for the dance.